Well, it is wonderful to see everybody at church today. Thank you so much for coming. And uh, we're going to dive back into our series on the Ten Commandments in just a moment. But I just wanted to make sure everybody knew. You heard it uh, several times already in this service. But Easter's less than a month away. Are you ready for that? And we're really looking forward to kind of counting down. And uh, starting on uh, April 3rd, I'm going to kick off a series entitled The Way of the Cross. And I just want to encourage you to join me each day, a little bit here and a little bit there. Just begin to ponder uh, the significance of what Easter means to you. And just thank Christ for his incredible love, his matchless grace, and all that he did on our behalf. And we're going to talk about the cross. This year we're going to be uh, doing a very special Good Friday service. And we'd hope to do this the last few years, but uh, things kind of worked against that. But we're really excited about that. And then, of course, the extravaganza on Saturday and, of course, Easter Sunday with all uh, the services. So uh, uh, our teams remind me that we need about 25 more people to help with the extravaganza. So if you'd like to come out uh, and be a part of Saturday, the big outreach to our uh, community, all the kids, we'd love for you to sign up. You can do it on the app online if you're watching online. You can also do it by using the connection card in front of you. We also need about 15 or 20 people to help us with first impressions just to greet everybody like there's no tomorrow, and we'd love for you to be a part of that as well. So uh, Easter, just around the corner, and we're looking forward to a great time of celebrating Jesus. Now, the last few weeks, we've been looking at uh, the subject of missions, global missions, the great commission, the great commandment. And uh, if you've been with us here over the last year, you know that I've been talking a lot about how as a Christian I feel I need to live in the center of three circles. I need to live, love, and lead like Jesus. And, uh, you know, I put together this Venn diagram to really describe my uh, biblical worldview and really challenge all of us to think about our own biblical worldview. And for me, obviously, we need to be anchored deep in biblical morality. That's the first big circle. And that's the Ten Commandments. That's the eight Beatitudes. We talked about the Beatitudes all last fall. We've been looking at uh, the Ten Commandments throughout the first part of this year. And we just need to filter our life through the Ten Commandments, eight Beatitudes, and build our life on the same foundation that Jesus built his life. We need to believe deeply in biblical morality, but we cannot use our morality as a billy club to beat on people that don't believe like we do. And that's where biblical purposes come in, and that's what we talked about the last three weeks. Jesus Christ has called us to be his witnesses, to be his representatives, to be his ambassadors. We are to build a bridge to the bridge, Jesus Christ. We're to show Jesus. We're to introduce people to Jesus. And we got to figure out how to contextualize, contextualize our faith and make it sensible to people who are far from God. You say, Rob, how do you do that? That's hard. Well, of course it's hard. And it was for Jesus too. In fact, he came into a world that he had to do that. He had to build a bridge and help people understand what it meant to be a follower of him. And then, of course, there's biblical virtues. And we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13 and the uh, uh, fruit of the Spirit throughout the course of the spring. And I'm looking forward to that as well. Today we're going to come back to the Ten Commandments And we're going to look at two very special commandments as we uh, get started here. Commandment number eight and nine. And I'm going to uh, kind of put these together in a sermon that really, to me, is about character. A sermon that talks about character and uh, ethics and virtue and integrity. Commandment number eight, you shall not steal. Commandment number nine, you shall not lie. I think a lot of times when you come to commandments like this, a lot of people just kind of turn the switch off and say, well, I'm not a liar. I'm not a thief, so this doesn't apply to me. 
But I want you to kind of zoom out a little bit, and I want you to think about the bigger context of Christian character. Do I have high moral character? Do I have high character like Jesus Christ? Am I at the very core of who I am Christ-like? And I want us to think deeply and, and reflect really honestly and confess very sincerely about our character. Now, if you look at Expositor's commentary, it says this about stealing. The Lord owns everything in heaven and on earth, and only he can give it and take it away. Therefore, no man should kidnap or usurp the rights to property he has not owned or has not been given. Thou shalt not steal. And when it comes to lying, the Bible calls for sanctity of truth in all areas of life. To despise the truth was to despise God, who uh, very being is the character of truth. So do not lie. Do not steal. In a uh, contemporary modern proverb, which, which is anonymous, I'd love to give somebody credit, said this, and I think it's true. Lying and stealing are next-door neighbors. You know, you might say that lying and stealing are two sides of the same coin. Maybe that's a little strong. But they're two coins, and they're both right in the palm of your hand. I mean, they, they go together a lot. A lot of times when someone's lying, they're stealing. When they're stealing, they're lying. And we're going to try to uh, amplify that a little bit as we move along here today. Now, when I think of character, I really think of three aspects to our character. And I was trying to figure out what's the best way to, to, to uh, picture this. And, and I use these three concentric circles. And, you know, I was thinking to myself, well, integrity and virtues and ethics, they kind of overlap. You know, there's a lot of similarities. You know, uh, what's the best way to describe that? And for me, I think of it this way. You may want to think about it a little bit differently, but I think there's a lot that we can agree on here. When I think of character, I think first about my integrity. And to me, that's a very personal thing. Who am I at the core of my being? Am I integrous? Am I a truth teller? Am I honest? You know, who am I at the very core of my being? And then the next circle out is, is virtue. Am I a virtuous person? You know, how do I think, respond, and live my life? You know, what is my GPS, my, my God positioning system? What's my go-to? How do I naturally uh, respond as a growing Christ follower? Am I virtuous? You know, uh, uh, am I good? Do I try to be good? The Bible says to pursue goodness. Am I a good person? And then to me, ethical is a little bit more, more relational. How do, how do I relate to other people? You know, how do I respond to people that can do nothing for me? How do I relate to people that are on the scrap heap of society? You know, what is my ethical direction with regard to my relationships? Now, certainly these all overlap, and, and, uh, and yet they have a little bit of a distinction. To me, integrity is very personal. Uh, virtue is intrapersonal, maybe you would say, and certainly ethics are interpersonal. How do, I, how do I respond in my relationship with other people? Well, however you want to describe it, and you can describe it differently than I have here, but lying and stealing blows all of this out of the water. No matter what you say about character, integrity, virtues, and ethics, if we find ourselves breaking the Ten Commandments, falling uh, into lying or stealing in any way, shape, or form. It just blows character integrity out of the water. And, and let me say what I've said many times before. It's easy to say, well, I'm not perfect. We all blow it. But perfection is never the point, and it's not a, a feasible goal. 
The question is, am I growing more like Christ? Am I becoming more like Christ? Is my character reflecting Christ's character more? Am I living, loving, and leading like Jesus more and more and more? Am I a character-driven person? Do I say what I mean and mean what I say? Do I have Christ-like character? You say, Rob, I'm checking out because stealing, I'm, I'm not a thief. I don't shoplift. I don't commit burglary. I haven't robbed a bank. I don't, uh, you know, I'm not uh, involved in identity theft, grand theft auto. Never, ever done it. Well, I'm glad. Congratulations. Give yourself a pat on the back. In fact, while you're at it, pat somebody else on the back. You know, maybe they feel the same way. But what about some other forms of stealing? Malachi 3.8 says, shall a man rob God? If we don't give God the first fruits and give biblically, the Bible says we're stealing. How about stealing intellectual property, copyrights, things of that nature? How about this one? We give ourselves a pass on so many things. I encourage you not to. How about stealing someone's reputation, dignity, and trust by slandering them? How about stealing confidence and peace when you abuse or belittle somebody? Most people don't think about those forms of stealing. How about stealing from the IRS? How many are glad I brought up that swear word this time of the year? <laughs> do not cuss. Do not say IRS. How about stealing supplies from the office? And you can add to the list. Don't give yourself a pass. Stand tall. Look into the face of Jesus. Say, Lord, See if there be any wicked way in me and cleanse me from every sin and set me free. None of us are perfect, but that's not the point. Are we growing in Christ-likeness at the very, very core of who we are? Let me give you three stealing verses and one quote. You ready? Food gained by fraud tastes sweet to a man, but he ends up with a mouthful of gravel. I love that one. Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? In tithes and offerings, we talked about that one. Hosea 4, 1 and 2, hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There's no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There's only cursing, lying, murder, and stealing. Those verses seem to show up together, lying and stealing. Plato said this, he who steals a little steals with the same wish as he who steals a lot. And I don't know what that means to you, but the thing that I got out of that is Stealing comes from the same dark place in my heart, whether it's a little or a lot. Obviously, we think a lot is, is more uh, egregious, and, and I suppose it is. But even stealing a little, it comes from a deep, dark part in our soul that we need to ask Christ to eradicate. We need to confess our sins. We need to ask him to cleanse us from our sin. We need to ask him to create in us a new heart. That's what the Bible encourages us to do. How about lying? You say, I'm not a bold-faced liar. Have you ever lied? Of course we all have. Little white lies. Here's one. People don't like to call this a lie, but, but exaggerations. I know some people that are so gifted in exaggeration. I hear what they say. I divide it by two. Always. They don't know it, but I know it. It's God's and my secret. How about, you know, when you're a kid and you're getting in trouble from your parents and, you know, you kind of sidestep the truth so you don't get in more trouble? 
And then as you grow older, you keep doing the same thing. Not being forthcoming, cutting corners on the truth. God is true. Satan is the father of lies. We want to identify with God, not the enemy. Three verses in one quote. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in men who are truthful. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who pours out lies will perish. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off the old self. Regardless of what you think of Nitschke's philosophy, this quote is a good one. He says, I'm not upset that you lied to me. I'm upset that from now on, I can't believe you. Isn't that true? You know, if we lie to someone, then that, those other people don't know if they can trust us in the future. If you lie to me, it's like, well, is what they're telling me now true or not true? It's like, I don't know that I can even believe them or trust them. There's a couple of bottom lines about stealing and lying that I, that I want to give you right here. And I think as you read these, you'll say, yeah, that, that's true. Lying and stealing erodes character. We cease to be integrous. We cease to be virtuous. We seems to, cease to be ethical if we find ourselves giving way to lying and stealing over and over. It exploits relationships. When you use people, demean people, belittle people, abuse people, it harms relationships for obvious reasons. It eliminates trust. You basically prove you're untrustworthy. And if I can't trust you or you can't trust me, then we really don't have a relationship because relationships are built on trust. And it erases influence. You cease to be impactful in life for good. And that's why we're here, to be impactful and to do good for God and for others. It erases influence. Mark Twain said this, a lie can travel halfway around the world while truth is still putting on its shoes. And I think stealing and lying are kind of similar that way. You know, it, it flies and it burns like wildfire quickly and causes great destruction. So when I look in the mirror, and more importantly, when I look into the face of God and I realize that I'm cutting corner on character, I need to confess my sin to the Lord. I need to ask him to cleanse me. And I need to ask him to create in me a clean heart, a new heart, a pure heart. There are three major Bible stories that come to mind immediately when I think of lying and stealing. And you see them up here on the screen. Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. You remember this story. You know, the early church was gathering together. There was kind of communal living. They all kind of pooled their resources. Ananias and Sapphira had, had a little bit of wealth, and they sold some property, but they, but they lied about it, and they held back part of the price of the land. I've often wondered if they would have just come clean and said, hey, we'd like to keep some of this. You know, the story may have been different. I don't know. We don't know. We won't know. But anyway, they, they lied about it. They kind of stole from the community. They were supposed to all be in on this thing together. And what happened? God was very displeased, and boom, struck down Ananias, dead for lying. A little bit later, who? Sapphira, boom, dead for lying. Both of them. I wonder what would happen if we walked out of the worship center here in a little bit, <laughs> made it through the lobby fine, <laughs> but got out on the patio, and 25 of us were bummed. Not dead right there because we're, we're liars and stealers. That would be a wake-up call. Can I hear a big amen? Can you imagine being a part of the early church, seeing that go on? It's like, whoa, 
you know, this is kind of important. I don't think I'm going to lie or steal going forward. How about David and Bathsheba? You know, we think of adultery, but didn't David do a lot of stealing and lying? He certainly lied. He tried to cover it up, and the prophet had to come and kind of, uh, you know, shine a big spotlight on what was going on. But, I mean, just think of it. He, he lied and stole and, and stole Bathsheba's purity, stole her husband, committed murder, essentially, uh, stole Uriah's wife, and there's lots of stealing going on there, lots of lying, a lot of deception. This is a man that's said, like none other in Scripture, this is a man after my own heart. But that talks about how he rebounded later. The part we're talking about right now is deeply flawed character exposed. Lying and stealing. The story I do want to talk about here today in a little more detail is the story of Achan in Joshua chapter 7. And we don't have time to read through the entire chapter, but I want you to look at the portrait of a severely flawed character. Achan, Joshua chapter 7. God makes it possible for his people to enter the uh, promised land, and Joshua is at the helm and they're driving out the enemy, and Joshua says, hey, warriors, I want you to go up to Ai, and I want you to, to take the city, push the enemy out. And they go up there, and they get routed. They get defeated. I mean, just brutal. They come back limping, and Joshua is overwhelmed, crying out, God, what in the world you promised to be with us? He, the Bible says he's laying flat on his face. He's crying out to God, and God basically says, this is the Rob Free Wheeling translation, would you stand up and quit whining and complaining? This is on you. This is on you guys. I told you what to do, and I said you'll be blessed if you obey. You will be cursed if you disobey. And you guys directly disobeyed what I asked you to do. And somebody, somebody took the treasure, took the devoted things that I told you not to touch. They stole away some of the material treasure and brought it back. And I don't know who it was. Of course, God did know who it was, but he didn't make that known right then. He said, somebody did it, and you need to either eradicate this from the camp or you guys will be eliminated. Disobedience brings destruction. And Joshua gets up. He brushes himself off. You look at verse number 10, then verse number 11. Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, God says, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things and notice the two commandments they broke. They've stolen and they have lied. They have put them in their own position. You need to eradicate this deception or it's going to destroy you, Joshua, in Israel. And so what does Joshua do? He says, okay, I understand better. And he begins to call Israel forward, tribe by tribe by tribe by tribe. Nobody confesses, nobody confesses, nobody confesses until they get to Achan, way toward the end of the chapter. And Achan says, I've sinned, I'm the one. You know, Achan, it's interesting to point out, didn't confess because he's such a moral guy. He confessed because he had been found out. That's a difference. I wonder if he would have confessed way back at the beginning if the story would have been different. Maybe, maybe not, I don't know. But he certainly confessed only because he had been found out. 
And the Bible says that he comes forward and God says, this is the guy. And to make a long story short, he's stoned to death right there for his disobedience. Not only him, all of his family, boom, killed. And not only that, all of his belongings, you know, just cremated. God wanted all of that out of the system, out of the plan. Disobedience and truthfulness do not go together. No character and character don't go together. And to me, it's a powerful illustration of many things, one of which is lying and stealing are contrary to the heart of God. Now, notice this about the story of Achan. If you think for a moment that your character flaws will not hurt people around you, you are severely mistaken. And this story should be a huge wake-up call for all of us. If you find yourself hiding, concealing, holding in, hoping nobody knows some major dark secret in your life or character flaw, know that the Bible says your sins will find you out. In another place, the Bible says what's done in secret will one day be shouted in the streets. You need to get that out. You need to confess that. You need to get rid of that. You need to confess, ask God to clean your heart and give you a new heart. You know, I used to think about scriptures like this a lot. I still do, but a lot as uh, uh, we were raising our three boys. Just thinking, God, I got to give these guys every advantage, every possible advantage I possibly can. They're going to have enough challenges, enough issues in life. They don't need a dad who is flawed in character. Not that I was perfect, imperfect, or ever will be perfect. That is not the point. The point is, I got to ask God to give me a clean heart. I got to try my utmost with God's help to be a person of character. There may be a lot of things I'm not, but the one thing I want to be more than anything in the world is a person of character. A person of character. God help me. And that's my prayer for you. God help you. And it's my prayer to this very day. I mean, I'd love on my tombstone for someone to say, here lies Rob. He was lousy and everything else in life. But the guy had character. <laughs> I would be happy. I would be blessed. I would be pleased. God, give us character. May those deep, dark corners of our soul be eliminated by the grace and power of Christ. Now, as we look at Achan's story, I want us to go a little bit further. In James chapter 1, 14 and 15, let's apply this a little bit here. It says, and this, this scripture to me just reminds me so much of stories like the Achan story. It says this, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil, what's the next word? Desire. Say that out loud with me. Desire. Louder desire and enticed. Then after, say desire again, desire has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin when it's full grown gives birth to death. Now, this whole idea of desire is something that we can really, really trace back to, uh, uh, to Achan. Now, let's go ahead and go to that next slide there, and you'll see what I call kind of a cycle of disobedience. And I want you to kind of trace this. It's evident here in James chapter 1, uh, but it's also evident in the story of Achan and, uh, and so many others. We can think of David, we can think of Samson, we can think of Ananias and Sapphira, etc. But I want you just to kind of think about this for a moment. Achan desired those forbidden fruits, those forbidden treasures. He desired them. Now, we've all been tempted. Anybody here not been tempted? No, we've all been tempted. Everybody put two hands up. We've all been tempted over and over again. 
Temptation in itself is not a sin. Even Jesus was tempted, but he never sinned. So desire and temptation, we get that. If Achan would have said, boy, I really desire it, but I'm not going to do it because that would be disobedience to God, that would have been a good result. But instead, what did he do? He went another step, and he committed stealing, and then he began to lie about it. He stepped out and committed the sin. That's the disobedience. And then deception, he tried to bury it. Literally, in this case, he did bury it in his tent under a rug, and he hoped nobody would find out. It's hidden. Nobody's ever going to see. Nobody's ever going to know. I'm never, ever going to be found out. This is the greatest caper in the history of capers. Little did he know. Then how about despair? You know, this is another stage where you're trying to hide something. Instead of coming clean, you're trying to hide. I wonder who knows. You're looking over your shoulder all the time. Who's going to find out? Who saw? I took that bag in there, loaded it up, you know, carried it out. Nobody else had a bag. I'm the only one who had a bag. Somebody probably saw me. You know, and, and you can only imagine that he's, he's dealing with that a little bit. And certainly when Joshua says, okay, I want everybody to come forward tribe by tribe. We're going to find out who did the bad deed here. You've got to think anxiety and fear. Friends, it's not worth it to live with anxiety and fear. We need to confess our sins, ask God to forgive us, and, and we need to get started on a new trajectory in our life. But Achan didn't do that. Despair hounded him. And then there's destruction. And then there was eventually death. I want you to think about this a little bit with me. And maybe right now, someone within the sound of my voice is in this disobedience cycle. Maybe there's, uh, maybe it's stealing, maybe it's lying, maybe it's an improper relationship, maybe it's, it's some other kind of sin, maybe some other kind of addiction, some other kind of something that's going on that you know isn't right, and you just find yourself in a downward spiral, a cycle of disobedience and destruction. I want to just walk through this real quickly. You know, so you desire something, and I encourage us when we know that's coming to break the cycle right there, to break the cycle right there. Let's jump to the next slide. I think we've got a slide. You know, these yellow marks talk about kind of where to break the cycle. So we say, Lord, I feel temptation in this area. I do not want to disobey. I do not want to bring dishonor to your name. Give me the strength to overcome this area of temptation. That's a prayer all of us have prayed and want to continue to pray. But let's say you've gone to the next stage and you've committed disobedience. Maybe you're there right now. You know, maybe you've committed that act of disobedience. And we need to stop the cycle right there and say, God, I desired it. I, I, I committed the sin. I disobeyed. Please forgive me for what I've done. I want to come clean. I want to confess my sin. Create in me a new heart. I want to overcome. We need to break it right there because if we don't, it's going to go into the stage of deception. And if we find ourselves in the stage of deception where we're hiding, 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 and, uh, and concealing, concealing, sealing, hoping we never get found out, and we're full of fear and anxiety, we need to, we need to break the cycle right there and say, enough already. We've all read stories and, and accounts of people who have committed grievous uh, 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 you know, uh, crimes, you know, murdered somebody or stolen something or whatever the case may be, and they just couldn't live with the guilt anymore, and so they came clean. Whatever the case may be, we need, to, we need to get it right as quickly as we can or it will lead to, you know, despair and then to destruction and death. We need to break the cycle. That's the point. We need to break the cycle. Wherever we find ourselves today, break the cycle. There's no better time than now 
to confess our sins, come clean with what's going on, ask Christ to cleanse us and to give us, create in us a new heart, a new heart. There's one powerful promise in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that I want to remind you of here today. It says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he'll provide a way out, a way of escape, so you can stand up under it. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Temptation is common. We've all been tempted. But God will provide a way out, a way of escape. And friends, we need to spend more time looking for the way out than we do looking at the sin we're thinking about committing. Christ, give me the strength to overcome. Give me the strength to move out of this difficult situation. There's hope. There's a way of escape. That's a promise. It's a promise that I want to encourage us to think about. Now, you say, Rob, I've, I've blown it. I've blown it. You have no idea. You have no idea what I've done. You have no idea what I've done to my family, no idea what I've done to this person or that person. Or other. You have no idea. God can't forgive me. I can't forgive myself. And I just want to encourage you. There is a road to recovery that the Bible gives all of us. It's the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to give us freedom and forgiveness. That's what we celebrate at Easter. It's the hope of the cross. It's the hope of the resurrection. It's the hope of freedom and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. No matter what you've done, there's hope in Jesus Christ. 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. How about David's prayer in Psalm 51? After committing the sin with Bathsheba and all that was a part of that, he prayed a prayer of confession. Look at this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. He prayed, cleanse me, cleanse me. Verse 7, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Look at verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God. I confess, cleanse me. Create in me a clean heart. You might be here and say, Rob, you have no idea what I've done though. Let me offer you this final word of encouragement. You are a product of your past, but you do not have to be a prisoner to your past. Amen? Let me say it a little differently. You may be corrupted by your compromise, but you do not have to forever be held captive by that compromise. There's freedom in Jesus Christ. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. You can break free from that and move forward into a new future and a new trajectory in your life. Leave the past in the past. Go forward with Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's my prayer for all of us here today. I want to invite you to bow your heads. And I want to invite you to stand with me all over this place. 
maybe you're here today within the sound of my voice on campus, just like we've shared in the other services today, or maybe you're at home watching online. But today, as you find yourself in this service, you realize, I need to, I need to commit my life to Christ. Or, or maybe you have in the past, but today's the day you want to recommit your life to Christ. I want to encourage you right here and right now to just pray in your heart of hearts, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I want to be a Christ follower. And please, if you make that decision and determination, would you tell me about it? Take that connection card in front of you. There's one online as well. I want to pray for you and send you some very helpful information. Just before you leave, fill that out. If you fill out the physical card, you can put it in the black box as you leave there at the end. Lord, I pray that you'll speak to all of us individually. For those, Lord, that are just kind of grappling with desiring to make a Christ commitment, to commit their lives to Jesus, I pray that today is the day, the day that they go all in and say, Christ, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I want to follow you. I want to put you first in my life. And for the rest of us, Lord, I pray if we've already committed our life to you, that we will pray a prayer of confession and recommitment and ask you, God, to create a Christ-like character in us like never before. May we live, love, and lead like Jesus. May people see our character and who we are at our core and say, that's what it's about. That's what being a Christian's about. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We recommit our life to you. Help us be like you. Make us people of character, integrity, virtue, ethical in our relationships. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forward as we sing a final song. We would love to pray with you if you have a special need. Maybe you want to stand in for somebody who's going through a hard time. We invite you to come even as we sing. God bless you.